0: Hey, Math and Other Things listeners, and welcome back to episode three of Math and Other Things. I'm your host, Courtney Flessner, and today I'm talking to Rebecca Barowski, one of my dearest, most favorite math educators. I have a lot of favorite math educators, but Rebecca holds a special place in my heart because we found each other during our PhD work at Indiana University. I knew Rebecca was my math education soulmate when we were doing the hexagon task in one of our classes. I'll include a link to the hexagon task in the show notes, but it's one of those incredible tasks that any child could work to solve, has multiple entry points, and could be used for a variety of grade levels. There are hexagon trains, you're finding the perimeter, it gets complex. Anyway, we were doing it in class one day, and I immediately started drawing a picture. And when I looked at the other students on either side of me, both having been secondary math teachers with incredible math minds, they did not. They immediately went to equations. So I started to hustle to make sense of what I was going to do so that I too could write an equation and ultimately came up with one. But when everyone started sharing, no one's equation was like mine. Mine had many more numbers and steps and a lot of other things. To be honest, I felt like a bit of an idiot until Rebecca started talking and sharing about her picture. She had the courage. She talked about how her picture led to her equation and how that led to simplifying and realizing that that was the beauty of this task, that the multiple entry points and its ability to allow anyone to think at a level they were comfortable with and Suddenly, I didn't feel like an idiot anymore. In fact, now that I'm thinking about it, this moment of Rebecca sharing could have been the moment that I realized that despite the fact I didn't have quick, fancy ways to solve problems, I was actually a pretty brilliant mathematical thinker. And my flexibility and being able to think about problems in a lot of different ways was only going to help my future work with teachers. So thanks, Rebecca. I think you played a big role in this. I mentioned Rebecca in the first podcast that I recorded with Ryan, so I immediately asked her to be a guest. Rebecca's currently an assistant professor of mathematics education at Western Washington University, where she teaches content and methods courses to future teachers. Before grad school, she was an elementary teacher in Fayetteville, North Carolina, taught kindergarten first and fifth grades, and also worked as a math coach. You'll hear lots more about her and her math autobiography in this episode, and I promise there will be lots of listeners who relate so well with her. There are so many great nuggets in this episode, but the math is understanding that math is about so much more than calculations, the benefits of adults learning in base 5 or 12, and not missing the week factoring is taught. The other things are the power of wanting to know more, surrounding yourself with those who support students and you, and the benefits of believing in your students. So thank you to Rebecca for taking the time to talk. Hey Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. We're just going to start with you giving us sort of your story, kind of telling your math autobiography. So when you think about that, what would that be?
1: Well, I I kind of have an unconventional path. Now I'm a professor of mathematics education. And when I was in high school, I don't think there's anybody in my sphere of folks who would have predicted that for me. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of, it kind of turned out to be a surprise. And I, I love telling my story because I talk about my relationship with math being a hate to love romance because I did not like math when I was a student myself. I learned, I fell in love with math when I was an adult. And I think that we, a lot of the teachers that I've worked with and pre-service teachers also feel uncomfortable with math if not having a strong dislike of it. And so I like to tell them if that's you, that's not permanent and it doesn't have to be permanent. So let me tell you how I, fell in love with math and tell my story because I think that there's a lot of us who fit into this narrative but I I don't really have any I don't have any memories of being shamed when I was a kid I didn't hate being a math student I didn't like hate it but I was pretty neutral about it Um, I was a really procedural learner. So throughout elementary school, I was just really good at memorizing strategy, like memorizing processes, and then using them to find answers. And so math to me was always about calculating things. And then when I got to middle school, I kind of hit a wall because my ability to memorize steps, I was was at capacity. Because once you hit algebra, things becomes much more complex. And algebra, if you think of algebra as like studying relationships between quantities, I had no sense of thinking about quantities. I was just thinking about steps and rules. And so all of a sudden, now I'm dealing with quantities that are unknown or quantities that vary. And I didn't have any way of thinking about those, strat- those quantities with steps. And you can, you can memorize steps in algebra, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of them. And so without that understanding, I couldn't memorize enough steps to really be successful. So that's when I started to like squeak by in my math classes. And I tell this story. I, when I was in seventh grade, my parents, my dad ran the Disney world marathon and my parents took my brother and I out of school for a week. And that was, and we went to Disney world and it was, you know, it was fantastic, but I, that was the week my teacher taught factoring <laughs> oh. and I, for years would tell people, oh, I never learned how to factor. Cause I missed that week in school. <laughs> As if it was like, right. As if it was like one procedure that I just never learned. And I, I mean, I remember sitting in high school like trig and being like, I can't do this because it requires factoring. And I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I mean, that's
0: so like telling like that's very revealing like you right? there was the week that you did it and now you're expected to apply it forever <laughs> without
1: and you know and obviously well- there was no
0: meaning anyway
1: well, and I remember like, I would have friends who'd be helping me with my homework and they'd be like, well, this is what you do. And I'd be like, you can't teach me that right now. Like, I don't understand it. I needed, I needed a whole week where we like sang songs and like memorize, mm-hmm. memorize the procedure. Mm-hmm. And I never got that Now it's too late. So we're just going to leave that in the past. And we're going to have to find another way for me to solve this problem that yeah. doesn't require factoring. Like I didn't, I didn't even have a sense of what factoring meant. It was just like this thing that you needed to be able to do. Yeah. And now, you know, now we we're math people and we think about factoring factoring. factoring and its relationships to multiplication and and all of that like quantitatively, right? But it had no quantitative meaning to me whatsoever. Um, So then I got to high school and I survived high school. There were definitely some C's in my high school math classes. I had one teacher that I took for two years and I loved him he was really nice and I think he was one of my favorite teachers because he wasn't mean to me and he I felt like he respected me even though I could not care less about math um and he used to tell me I went by Becky in high school and he used to tell me Becky. I think you're a math person and I'd be like, his name was Dennis Carlson. And I'd be like, okay, Mr. Carlson, whatever you say. And he'd be like, no, I mean it. I think that when you, I think you're just too young. And when you get older, I think you're going to realize that you really like math. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like, oh right. My
0: gosh. Have you, have you like found him? No,
1: I need to look him up. And I think he knows what I'm doing now. Um, he's still alive. I really need to call him up and take him out for lunch or something.
0: Something or just right? like, Shoot, shoot that man a card and be like yeah a <laughs> kind of story for you because <laughs> he was f-
1: really great
0: but that to me that's one of the most you know i i hear, you know when teaching pre-service teachers if i would have them do their math autobiography so often their story included, like, I was terrible at geometry, I hated my teacher. And like the the relationship that they had with their teacher was almost always a direct correlation with whether or not they liked the class, and sometimes whether or not they did well in the class. And so it's, so it's interesting to me that that sort of same thing is happening to you, but you weren't necessarily doing well, but you liked him, and he had that total asset-based thinking going on that we need
1: every teacher to have about every student. Well, and I think about him a lot too, because I, I was not a good student in high school. I was lazy Mm -hmm. and I did stuff at the last minute. I I was on the swim team and we had morning practice at like 6am and I used to sleep during math class. Like I would come to class and I would like put my head down on the table and sleep. And as a teacher now, I think about that and I'm horrified that no. past Rebecca did that. I'm like, oh, what? That's so rude. I cannot believe. And I don't know that I would be upset if a teacher held a grudge against a, especially an older or an adult student sleeping in their class, but he never held a grudge against me. It was like, he genuinely liked me as a person. I genuinely liked him as a person. I just could not be bothered with math. I had no interest whatsoever. And he did not dislike me because of that. And I think that made a big difference. Huge difference. Like didn't give up on you. Yeah. Yeah when I remember getting exams back, (laughs) I did not do, I did not test well in high school math. Like I'd get exams back and they would just be covered with red. (laughs) And he'd be like, I'm glad you're making effort on your homework (laughs) because it would bring my grade up. So I was passing. And yeah. And he, like he would, I, I mean, wrong answers everywhere. And he would always have like really positive, nice things to say about me on my tests, even though I'd done really terribly. Well, and it's, I think that I, my conceptions of what math was, was calculating. It was just calculating stuff. And like, you know, I'm never going to build a bridge. I don't need to be able to calculate that kind of, that much. Like, it's fine. I don't need to know how to calculate stuff. Where my conception now is, that's not what mathematics is at all. That's like one tiny part of mathematics. And math is about like quantitative relationships, Right. And and that's about quantities and reasoning about quantities um, and lots of different manifestations of quantities. And now I see it everywhere. And and now I'm a person who loves math and I find joy in math. And it just like, I get that like internal tingly feeling when I see things that are mathematical. And so I think taking a formal calculus class now, I would feel that all over. I'd be like, this this is really cool. Like this is what I was doing with my third graders. And Like, I think that it would be really neat to take it now with the perspective that I have now, but I also, I don't know that anybody could have done anything different to have 16 year old Rebecca have that perspective. Sure.
0: Well, Mr. Carlson
1: was trying. He really was. (laughs) (laughs) He tried really hard.
0: (laughs) You just weren't ready. And I what what an incredible message that is that we can have the best intentions for our students, but sometimes they're just not ready. So we have to figure out what we can do for them in the moment and then like, and then make decisions, you know? So gosh, okay. That, there's so many good things so, there. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, hold on. So, okay. So we, we've hit high school, right. And all mm-hmm. the things. And so many years have, have, have happened between high
1: school and now. So you become an elementary school teacher. Yeah, so in college, again, I just, whatever, I didn't have to, it's not like now where you have to take some higher level math classes. When I, when I graduated from college, the requirements for math classes were not as rigorous as most institutions are now. And so I did not, I did not struggle through through any of my college courses. I did very well in college and I loved college. Um, And so then I, I wanted to be a band director. I changed my mind about that and went into elementary education. And I find myself in my first teaching job, in kindergarten, was teaching kindergarten. And I, I was not worried about teaching math to elementary school teachers because, or to elementary school kids, because I could add, subtract, multiply, and divide, right? I was like, I can do elementary school math. That never gave me a problem. So I'm not worried about this at all. And so I started teaching and I taught kindergarten that first year, and then I moved up to first grade the next year. And for those first two, three years, I was working really really hard to teach math to teach everything but particularly math and my students were also working really really hard i was a really good teacher i got them engaged and involved but they weren't learning anything and i would go to assess them and i'd be like nobody has learned this but we have worked on this for so much time in class i made all this stuff to have them do they did all these activities why didn't it? Why didn't they learn this? And I was really bothered because I felt like we were all just like running in a hamster wheel and not getting anywhere. And so that's when I started taking professional development, and I joined NCTM, and I started reading magazines, reading the magazine, and I found the people in my school district who did the math. PD. And so I started making friends with them and asking questions. And now I know the reason it wasn't working is because I was teaching them procedurally, Mm -hmm. you know, put these numbers in order. Here's a process, here's a procedure. So memorize this procedure. And and sometimes those procedures were like nine or 10 steps long, (laughs) which now I know, like, of course, a six year old can't memorize 10 steps to put numbers in order. And so that was through learning how to teach math. I started to learn math. Yeah. I, I would argue in some instances for the first time, like yeah. I wasn't just memorizing procedures. I was learning the math myself. And the more that I learned, the it was like my epiphany, right? Like I was waking up to, oh my gosh, this is, this is what math is. And that's when I fell in love with math was learning why, why, oh my gosh, this is why we do patterns in first grade and it's, at the time we did patterns in first grade, and I was always like, why are patterns in the algebra domain, <laughs> like, and then I started to understand, oh, it's because they they have this connection to functions, like it's a functional relationship and being able to predict, to predict these terms and that is really cool. Um, I, and I would, I went to every PD they offered and I was just, you know, making friends with the teachers. And i be, I became that student in all of the PD that was like really excited to be there. Yeah. Um, I love those people. <laughs> I know. I know that you, so do I. <laughs> and so I was just really eager and excited. And then of course we know this too. We love those people. So we ask those people to join our teams and help right. us do the next one. And so then I started teaching the PD and I got to meet other teachers and, and watch teachers in other grade levels. And it's just a real privilege to be able to watch other people teach. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I, that's how I fell in love that way. And then, you know, I kind of fell into an opportunity to get my master's in math ed. It was all grant funded. I'm very blessed. I'm very lucky and so I, they were piloting a program in North Carolina to do an add-on licensure for elementary math specialists. And they needed a first cohort of students. And I, that worked out that it happened to be perfect timing. So I did that. And we actually had our master's classes in my classroom at my elementary school oh. where I was teaching. So I didn't even have to drive. It was amazing. And I worked as a math coach for a while. So I got to see other classroom teachers do their thing. And I got to know kids from a lot of different ages and I just really fell in love with it. And it became like a lifelong passion for mine. Yeah. And you know, So then I finished with my master's and master's was when I started kind of getting interested in research and how do we figure out what is good practice for students And I I was working as a math coach when I was doing my master's and then Common Core came out and I was, Common Core is really ambitious and I was a little concerned about the reality of being able to teach that in classrooms. And I made the decision that I wanted to go into a classroom again and try it myself. And so I left my math coach position and went back into the classroom to teach fifth grade. And that was really exciting because I learned so much. And then I was back in the classroom and I was able to apply everything that I learned. And then I did that for three years and I was really missing opportunity to do research because i felt like as a classroom teacher and as i'd had a baby and as a mom i wasn't able to do everything and so that's when i decided to go for my phd
0: yeah so i just i mean this is not this is not about me but one of the reasons why i just adore you so much is because (laughs) of how completely parallel our stories are um i didn't really have the the teacher (laughs) (laughs) I "I believe you're a math person, but, um, I had, you know, I had teachers that, that I liked. And I remember, you know, I remember my algebra two teacher very fondly actually, but I, I just love that. Because so often when I tell my own story, I feel like people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd say anything to get us to do what you are suggesting we do. And I'm always like, no, I promise. And I know other people like this too. And, And there's so many others, right? Because, you know, one thing that you said, like through learning how to teach math, I learned the math and that's when I fell in love with math. And in order for you to be able to do that, you had to want to know more right? And that want to know more came from the reflective teaching practice of realizing my students are not learning what I'm teaching them. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. that reflective piece is so important and taking ownership over that and realizing it was something you were doing, not something they were doing or their parents were doing or whatever, right? That we hear so often. So I just, I appreciate so much about that. And just that that notion of wanting to know more, like, because things change so easily, right? I mean, and how kids learn and and what they're bringing to the table is in a constant state of change. So,
1: yeah, I think a lot about, you know, early teacher Rebecca and the attitudes that I had. And I, I think about that all the time, Courtney, because I think one, one path I could have taken was these students aren't learning because there's something wrong with them Mm -hmm. or because they're not working hard enough. And I think, unfortunately, I think there are teachers who make that assumption and then it becomes the student's fault. And I don't know if it was a disposition thing in me. I think more realistically, it was probably influence of the people that I had around me and the people who I was listening to that I didn't go that path. I went, they're working really hard and I'm working really hard, there's something wrong with how we're teaching this. So this is not anybody's like decision or fault or deficit. This is something in this particular cocktail of how I'm trying to get them to learn this stuff that isn't working. And that was key, like having that attitude. These students are smart, they're capable and they're hardworking. Universally, every one of my students could fit those adjectives at some point it's not about them doing anything wrong. It's about me not finding the strategies or the situation or the context that worked for them. And I, you know, i love to say that I've always had that attitude about every single one of my students, but I'm a human being. So obviously sometimes I slip from that, but that is my general belief is that all of my students are brilliant. All of my students are capable and all of my students want to do well. And if you go into that if you have that mindset about your students that completely shifts your whole attitude about teaching and what your role in teaching is and how you approach it when a student isn't understanding something or when a student isn't being successful and I think that's really I don't want to be every teacher should have to be have this disposition because I don't believe in that but I think that that there's a certain type of disposition that honors students that is really critical to being a successful teacher
0: yeah and 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 um, you you can say it, you can say that you believe that, but you have to actually believe it. And sometimes we have to work a little bit harder to find that brilliance, right. Or to unpack it, to peel the layers, you know, whatever, whatever (laughs) phrase we're going to use to find that, but they all have it in some way. And as soon as we connect to that, they're going to start connect connecting to us and what we're, you know, giving them. So tell me about your very first math
1: memory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I didn't have a lot of like trauma stories. I just was pretty indifferent about math when I was in elementary school. I do have this memory though. I was in first grade and I think the teacher had just taught something, something, I don't know what the subject was. And then she passed out this worksheet. And we were supposed to be working on this worksheet, probably for like 20 minutes, half an hour or something. And I was so bored and I did not want to do this worksheet. So I asked to go to the bathroom and she's like, fine, whatever. And then I spent, I don't even know how. I was, like, I was not, I'm, I'm six, right? So I'm not keeping track of time. I wasn't wearing a watch. I just wandered up and down the hallways reading bulletin boards. <laughs> and then I went back to class and she had forgotten about me, I guess. And she was collecting the papers. And I was like, I didn't do mine because I was in the bathroom. And she was really mad because she was like, how long were you in the bathroom? And so I think she called my parents. Oh my I gosh. Got, I got in trouble. Oh my and I gosh. Like, it wasn't like, I hate math. It was just like, I just can't be bothered to care Lord. about this. Yeah, and This is not on my agenda for today, but I love, what I
0: love about that story <laughs> though, is there are definitely times I forgot that I had given permission to a child to go to the <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that's why it's so funny now because I, at the time, I was like, How did you just forget about me? Yeah, but now I'm like, Oh, yeah, 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 because yeah, uh, yep, we've all been there as teachers. <laughs> where you're just like, Wait, where is where's Susan? <laughs> Where'd Courtney go? I love that. Does anybody remember that. the last time we saw Courtney? <laughs> <laughs> <Does> anybody know? <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody's like, You said she could go to the bathroom, but it's been a while. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, I totally
1: know where she is. Everything's fine. Um, what about what about your favorite math memory? Um, all of them happen as an adult for yeah. me. So, I remember being at a PD and we were playing um Nim. Mm-hmm. And if, for those of you who don't know, Nim is like there's lots of variations of nim but the one that i was playing was a counting game and you can either say two numbers or one number and then you and a partner try to count up to 20 and if you say 20 you lose so you're trying to maneuver your partner into being the one to say 20 and so you you kind of figure out how to get your partner to 20 if you if you you don't want to say 17 or whatever And then you work backwards from that until eventually you decide, I have to go first or I have to go second, depending on what the conditions are. And I was just like, my brain was just firing. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. First of all, I figured this out and I'm like wiping the floor with everybody at my table, which I think was maybe the first time when I (laughs) felt like I was the smartest person at the table in math. (laughs) I was like... Am I am huh. I good at math? <laughs> and cool. then yeah. And then I was like fascinated by how this worked. And then I so I went home and I like looked it up on the internet. And then I'm finding all these variations like you can do it with pattern blocks and you can do it with these and you can do it with, and I was like fascinated by that. And that kind of turned into that's how I started all my classes at the beginning of the year and
0: Yeah, so you had your your moment. Right. Like your moment of great success that made you feel like, ooh, I can do this. You know, I can I love that. And then I love that that ends with and that's how I started all of my classes, because you wanted to provide an opportunity for someone to maybe also have that exact same moment. I love that. It's like, it's like that deep consideration that you put into what's going to be my first read aloud because I want them to absolutely love reading. So I have to choose a really good book to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then anytime. Oh, another one. Anytime I learned an alternative algorithm, (laughs) so like scaffold for division or partial products for multiplication, I was always like, this is amazing this makes, this reveals what's actually happening with the quantities. It's so fascinating. Like I remember just being super interested in those. And then did you ever ever feel cheated? Oh, that I hadn't learned them myself. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. I learned partial products. I wanted to like write letters to people to be like, why did people leave this out of my life? Because it makes so much more sense to me than the traditional.
1: Yeah for me, it was the the division version of that so partial quotients or scaffolding. Yeah. I was like, this is so much easier than the traditional one yeah um yeah, I was like and I still when I have to divide if I don't have a calculator handy, I, if it's big numbers, I use that one. I don't yeah. use this when, when
0: I when when I am like talking about the algorithms and how they relate to each other and whatever, anytime I have to do the multiplication algorithm, I get I get, I get physically anxious and like my, my hands are sweating even a little bit right now because I, I'm so fearful. I'm going to do it wrong. And I'm like, I just want to do partial products because it makes so much more sense to me.
1: Well, do you remember when common core was new and, and like, like years two, three, four, we started to get this backlash about common core and, you know, all of the, why do my kids need to learn to do it this way? And because I was working as a math coach and then kind of like I was back in the, I was at a new school and I was in the fifth grade position, but I was kind of in a math leadership position at that school too. And so I found myself doing the parent workshops about, let's talk about what your kid's going to learn in math this year. And so every time I did one of those workshops that would come up, like, why does my kid have to learn this weird way of doing this problem? And I, (laughs) I You know, parents can be a tough sell sometimes, but Uh I loved teaching that workshop or teaching those workshops because it would be like, this is not about getting an answer as quick as possible. (laughs) This is about partial products. We want your kids to understand the distributive property and this algorithm makes that really visible. And it's really cool. It's not cool because you get an answer fast. That's what makes the standard algorithm cool. It's really compressed, you get an answer fast. What makes this other algorithm cool is you can see what's happening with the quantities and how you can see the distributive property happening. And I really want your fifth grade kids to understand what's happening with the distributive property, because they're going to get to algebra, and they're going to need to know how to do that with unknowns or with var- numbers that vary, yeah. and we're going to do it with numbers that they're more comfortable with now, and make it really visible so that it's not like a like Greek to them when they have to start doing with a, b, and c or x and y.
0: Yeah, and I think that that I think that that's a really nice way to help get the buy-in is to be like, we're preparing them for all the math that's to come. And chances are a lot of them have similar stories to you and I and our experience in high school. And so, you know, we could be really sassy and be like, so you were taught a certain way and how'd that go? Like, how'd that go for (laughs) you? Right. But I don't want to do that. I mean, maybe I do a little bit, but I I don't want to do that. Rather, I want to be like, if, if I had known A, B, and C, then D, E, and F would have been so much easier for me and we want kids to enjoy being in their classes.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, it's kind of one of those, they're making a different argument. So they will say, but this way, why do they have to do it that way? This way is so much faster. And I think they, a lot of people expect you to say, no, it isn't this way is better. And that's, it, that's not true. It is faster. The standard, the standard algorithm is the standard algorithm at least for us in the U S the ones that we use because they're super efficient. You don't have to write as much and they're faster. So I'm not going to try to convince you that partial products is faster because for some people it might be faster because they understand it better, but just as an algorithm, there's more steps. So the reason we use, we don't use it because it's faster or more efficient. We use it because it gets us to think about the quantities differently. And so I would tell parents, It's not about which process is best. It's about which process helps us learn different things. And then there's the, all the metaphors, like when you do this algorithm, you're exercising your biceps. But when you do that (laughs) algorithm, you're working on your, I don't know, ankles, (laughs) whatever. Like we're, we're working different muscles of our brain because I want my students to come out of my class, not just being able to add, subtract, multiply, and multiply and divide, but to have really robust understandings of quantities and relationships. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so this is actually a good um, segue into what are some like some some takeaways like of everything we discussed, right? What would you tell a, an educator or teacher like what What's a tiny little step that they might be able to make that will help them? you know, start to want
1: that learning to be robust. Yeah. So I have two, because I was thinking about that because you asked me ahead of time. Yes. So my first one is to try to find joy in math yourself um, as a learner and doer of mathematics. And I think that's really important. And so if you're not a math person, that's okay, but try to find some joy in doing math. And I don't mean solve the problems that you're gonna give your kids. (laughs) Like, I mean, get on YouTube and watch a video from Number File. Or there's so many like fun playing with math books. Some of my favorites are the ones um by Papa's the Penrose, the Mathematical Cat, where they're just really playful problems. Or there's I get a lot of my math brain thinking just by following math people on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, Now there's TikTok. (laughs) So if you search math or math education on TikTok, there's a ton of really amazing stuff on there. Um, So there's so much out there that's just people playing with math that is engaging and doesn't have to be like, I'm gonna sit down and do math for an hour, but I'm gonna watch this two minute TikTok video and think about like this other strategy for subtracting. Um, Because I think learning that playfulness and that finding that joy that's the feeling that I chase for my students. Like I want my students to feel those synapses firing and to feel that joy and those endorphins. And if I never feel that myself, I think it's much harder to make my students feel that. So that's Mm -hmm. advice one. The second thing is to listen to your students and like actually listen to them. Um, Because I think... Our students are really brilliant kids. Every kid out there, we are born reasoning quantitatively. Like there's research that babies are subitizing, like mm-hmm. straight out of the womb, right? So there are quantities all over the world. And we, from the day we are born, we are trying to make sense of those quantities. And so sometimes we make sense of those. These kids are learning to make sense of quantities in ways that are different from how we make sense of quantities. It's not because they're that smart. It's because our sense making doesn't line up. And sometimes the best thing we can do is to stop trying to get them to learn a particular thing or to get to a particular answer, but just sit down, give them a question and not necessarily a math problem, but ask them a question like, what do you think the biggest number is? And then just listen. And sometimes you prod, they'll say something and you're like, wait, Can you back up and say that again? I don't understand. Can you explain what you mean? Or they'll say something and then somebody next to them will be like, that is not how I think about it at all. And then you just listen to them thinking. And I think that that reveals a lot of things. It helps you, first of all, appreciate their reasoning and their brilliance, even if it doesn't, if it's not quote unquote conventionally correct, Mm -hmm. it still helps you appreciate the brilliance that went into making that sense the way they're making sense. And it also um, gets them feeling active in participating. It's not a one way I feed you knowledge, you you inhale it. Yeah. And then it also helps you counter some assumptions that you have. I think yes. kids are really good at proceduralizing everything we give them. Mm-hmm. And so we may, if I put down a number line that's got a zero and a one on it and ask kids to mark three fourths and they, they do it in a way that I would say is correct, I make all kinds of assumptions. This kid understands that they've taken a line and they've cut it into four equal parts. And sometimes they don't do that. They're not thinking that way at all. They've, they've memorized a procedure. And so if you actually listen to what they're saying, you you can counter some of those assumptions you've made, positive or negative yeah. about their thinking and just pay attention. And I found that for me, we're teachers, right? And we're human beings. We all have those moments when we're frustrated, with our students or with ourselves or we're having a day when it's just like nothing is going well I'm frustrated with you I don't know what's going on those moments for me I would step back and I'd be like okay forget today's math lesson let's play NIM and then we would just do something completely unrelated let go of the standards let go of what assessment you have waiting and just play with math and listen to your students think about it and it's always a good way to reset and they feel better about you you're reminded of how smart they are you feel better about them and it just kind of course corrects yeah and chances are if you're feeling that need for
0: a reset so are they mm-hmm. and they're enough and, and if anything it's going to rejuvenate them and get them to want to work and think harder the next time and you'll you'll make up for whatever you quote unquote missed, right? Because of all of that uh, joy that goes back to the joy that you provided in that moment in um, math class or any class, right? I mean, that ties any any class. Oh gosh, you're saying all the right things, Rebecca. Of course, I'm brilliant, Courtney, (laughs) just like you.
1: You're asking all the right
0: questions. Right, okay. Rebecca, thank you for coming and spending time with me today. You're welcome. And I'm I so, was so, I, I'm so glad we could coordinate time. <laughs> given I know right <laughs>
1: that time difference is hard, <laughs> especially being busy and yeah,
0: parents and, we, we yeah. squeeze it in before your classes start. But um, I really hope that um, people are listening to you know or, or listen to your story because you you have a good one and you are inspiring. Like I've got a list of things that I need to read right now because <laughs>
1: listening. to you <laughs> so, I'm giving you homework. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and we're
0: going to sign up for that calculus class later yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> we really need to, I'm going to keep,
1: I should write that down so that I'm not someday, two years from now, I'll be like, I had a really good idea for a sabbatical. What was that? <laughs> yeah,
0: it's a great idea. All right. Thank you for being here and maybe you'll come back sometime.
1: Oh, I would love to. This is my podcast debut, by the way. I've yeah, never okay, been on a podcast great. before. <laughs> you did a great job. Thank you. i was so, so fun. Thank you, You need a co-host. Call me. Yeah. No, <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye, Courtney. Bye. Bye.
0: So there you have it. If you haven't yet, check out at math and others on Twitter and at math and other things on Instagram, where I pulled some of my favorite quotes from this episode. In my opinion, Rebecca is full of wisdom about the teaching and learning of mathematics and her current pre-service teachers are lucky to be learning from her. I really hope she'll be a guest again soon. If you haven't yet, listen to our first two episodes and rate and review the podcast. Also, if you're someone or know of someone whose math and teaching and learning story would be fun to hear, shoot me an email at cflesner at ciesc.org or DM me on social media. I have an awesome list of educators who've agreed to be on the show and a big old long list of people that I am working up the courage to ask, but I'm always looking for suggestions. Be sure to follow Keep Indiana Learning on all the social media platforms. The plethora of content and professional learning we offer at Keep Indiana Learning is unlike no other. And things we're planning for 2023 and beyond are incredibly exciting. So don't forget to follow. And thank you to Keep Indiana Learning for making this podcast possible. And finally, thank you. Thank you for listening, thank you for sharing the podcast, and thank you for supporting the incredible profession of teaching. And as always, to all the educators out there, thank you to all that you do on a regular basis.